And it's a very good evening. Thank you for joining me this Monday evening. I'm Wayne Turner taking you through till quarter to seven this evening. The program is Talk at Six with Wayne. And we look at issues, community issues. We look at finances, medical, education. These are just some of the subjects we have experts, guest experts, and we regularly take a look at it and bring information, updates, sometimes a bit of entertainment, but generally informing our listeners. Um, the first Monday of the month is our educational start. Second is our finance, third community, and fourth is our medical. But uh, unfortunately, Dr. Shula can't be in studio. So we have added an extra community slot. And uh, we try to find out about things in the community, organizations, what people are doing, informing and allowing people to understand some of the challenges. I think last week we had U-Turn in studio. And it was an extremely informative show, uh, nice feedback and uh, showcasing an organization that's doing something for the homeless in our community. Now, uh, doing something for another sector of our society, in studio I have with me this evening from Waves for Change, one of the best kept secrets in Musenberg, and that's Nikki van der Merwe. A very good evening to you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me, Wayne. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I'm an old Musenberger over 30 years, and you see different organizations, you see names up, but for some reason, we don't always ask about it, and which is why I say one of the better-kept secrets. Maybe it's, that's fine, you know, you, as long as your, your target market, your audience, your clients, as long as they know that you exist, that's the most important. So, f- firstly, tell us a little about yourself, uh, where you're from, uh, and then... Uh, how you got involved in the organization. Thanks so much, Wayne. Um, so my name is Nikki van der Merwe, and as Wayne said, I work for an organization called Waves for Change. Um, I've been with the organization about five years. Um, my background is in psychology and criminology and in program evaluation. So you can look at me and tell me if I'm lying. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take any chances. <laughs> um, and I've worked a little bit. Um, my, the beginning of my career was in the academic um, sector, uh, but that introduced me to community-based organizations and I just immediately fell in love with working with young people and um, realizing in South African communities there's a wealth of knowledge and uh, people are, are really taking care of each other and there's so much we can learn from from our communities. Um, you see in Musenberg so many different organizations that are community-based. Absolutely. absolutely and I think it's really about um, shifting our thinking when we work in communities not to say we're going to work um in communities, but with communities. And I think that's where I realized, especially the young people in South Africa, has so much potential. And um, I'll speak a little bit more about our model at Waves for Change, but we really use young people in the community to work with children. They're relatable and they, they, they so, can so trust them. So partnership, partnering is very important is very what you're saying. Very important, absolutely. Um, and, and knowing that we don't bring the solution, we're part of the solution. Um, but so, yeah, I, I um, got involved with numerous NGOs. Um, I got stuck at Waves for Change just because I'm also a keen surfer so it's just a plus that I can two or three times a week go and surf without feeling guilty <laughs> um, but uh, uh, really working with with uh, with children across a couple of communities over the past and um, past five years and yeah absolutely loving it because that's uh, a pretty new model of partnering with con- communities being not providing them with solutions but developing solutions and uh, models with the community. Because in the old days, it used to be just 
bring some money in. Yeah. Let's do soup kitchens. Let's provide clothing. Let's give money for education. Yeah. And really, the root causes were never dealt with. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I think, as you just said, with partnering is, is, a, yeah. is vital to any community organization. Have you found that it's the only way? I definitely think so. I'm, I'm sitting thinking I saw a um, uh, an, an, an image long ago of a um, big white building that was built in a community somewhere in, in South Africa, but the windows were broken and the paint was stripped and everything was stripped and someone made a comment to say how great, ungrateful is this community because the centre is not being used. And then there was a response to say the centre wasn't built in the right place, it didn't offer the right services, the community wasn't engaged in what do you need um, and how, what service, how can we help you use this building to the benefit of the youth. And that kind of struck, it struck me because it made me realize exactly this thing about partnerships and asking communities, what do you need? And letting them come up with solutions and really just kind of um, support and empower where we can. And I think that's what I appreciate so much about Waves for Change. It's really a, it's building on the strengths that already exist in a community um, and really just uplift and, and, and support where we can. Yeah, that's why you often have duplication of services. I yeah. interviewed... Uh, uh, Lena Mantle Lindewe from, he's a community leader in Capricorn, Freyhront area. And one of the interviews, we were chatting around the very same subject. And he said, you know, communities know their own needs. Yeah. And community leaders and committees, street committees and the like. And, and they, they've got certain needs and they're looking for people to assist. When you come in and even if it's throwing good amounts of money, uh, it still doesn't get to the root cause because yeah. you, you throwing the money in the wrong direction. Yeah. He said, partner with us. Yeah. You know, if you partner with us, you're going to uh, have sustainable solutions. And that's the key Absolutely. word for them is sustainable. Yeah. If you can't sustain something when people aren't interested. Yeah. I think Absolutely. that's your point you're making about the big white building. Yeah. You know, if the community doesn't, if now they've got to walk six kilometers to mm. get the services, yeah. you know, you're going to have minimal uptake. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we start talking now about exactly it is what Ways for Change does, um, then, then there's a couple of nice examples that I, that I can give what we've learned and really what, what our service is, is, is trying to do in communities. Okay, yeah. let's get to the beginning. Tell us how it started and, and, and what the need that, that was perceived was. Yeah. And then how you, I mean, you didn't come in there day one and have all this amazing service and bang. <laughs> you've learned, you bumped your heads, you've yeah. got lots of lumps to, and scars to show. Uh, I mean, you didn't do it all right at From the beginning. The beginning no. Tell us how it started and what you did and what you, what the need was. So our founding director, um, Tim Conneby, um, is originally from the UK and he's a keen surfer. He came to South Africa to make wine, actually, but um, I always joke and say, I don't know what went wrong, but he ended up um, starting Waves for Change and he came to surf a lot in Musenberg and in, in um, some of the communities and he made a, a very good um, friendship in Apish Tetsaus, our co-founder. Apish is from Masi. Um, and the two of them started surfing and then children from the community came to them and said, we want to, what is it that you're doing? We want to join in. Um, and they had a couple of old surfboards and old wetsuits and a broken pickup truck. And they picked up some of the children and 
brought them surfing to what we know in South Africa was historically um, spaces that weren't accessible um, by everyone. So it was really a, a fun and a new thing for some of these children to engage in. But soon, soon after, some of the children started saying to Tim and Apish, can we sit and chat to you about our challenges? Um, we really need mentors to talk to. We need someone to help us with the challenges we're facing in life. And Apish and Tim realized it can actually be a space where children access someone that's caring, access someone mm. that wants to listen and that can give them some advice of some of the challenges they, um, they face in their community. So it really built into um, some kind of surf club where children can come and try something brand new and challenging and learn a new skill and build confidence but also a safe space emotionally where they can come and ask questions and ask, what do I need to do? And I'm struggling with this and I'm facing peer pressure. So it's, it's kind of weird where it um, started to grow. And then we worked with a couple of academics to look at... Um, uh, what is it that children need? I um, mean, we, we worked specifically with a PhD student who actually asked children to go and take pictures in their communities of what are not safe spaces and what are safe spaces and what are the kinds of spaces you would need in a service where you would feel comfortable and if you could design a program, what would that program look like? So the, the um, basis of our program was informed by children's voices and um, children's needs and it grew into a now quite big um, community-based mental health service that's that's child friendly and that's what children want to need from my experience i mean uh, before the program i said a lot of my experience is in the criminal side of things law enforcement seps uh, community organizations and you know one of the things we found is that programs designed and that work with young people especially that's the only normal part of their lives yeah when they come, using your example, when they come surfing, they're doing the same thing in the same environment, having the same amount of fun as the rich kid from Bishop's Court will be having. So it's totally normal. Then yeah. they go back into their abnormal situation yeah. and people try to think, well, look, we're giving them, we give them food when they come. We, we uh, sometimes organize a scholarship for schooling and these different things. But really no one goes back to what is happening and yeah. what is causing them to be, uh, I mean, I'm not saying underprivileged is uh, the, the major part of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, many underprivileged people, but the, the, the different, as you say, psychological outworking of that uh, poverty yeah. stunts them, yeah. prevents them from any, any growth at school or socially, recreationally. Mm -hmm. And so you guys saw that issue or your founder saw that issue and worked back towards the problem. Correct. Absolutely. And um, I'll, um, I'll tell you a little bit now about, um, we, we call our, our, our service has got a five pillar method. It's kind of like the five pillars that underpin um, how we deliver the service. But one of those five pillars is psychosocial education. And it's really coping skills and skills to help children with the challenges they face in their community and that's what we thought um, was important. I agree with you, taking someone out of the environment, it's a safe space, it's fun, there's not a lot of temptation, there's a lot of support, it's quite easy in some way there to make right choices. And they go but from the, a high to the back to a low. And then they go back to a low and what our program really tries to do is to teach children on the beach the kind of skills and coping skills they need um, to have 
from communities where there's not a lot of resources and when they go back to the community they've they've mastered those skills on the beach and they can just continue practicing them in the spaces where they are then under pressure and, and they, uh, then feel like what do i need to do do i lash out at someone or do i take a deep breath and count to five so so what pressures what problems face these kids that you guys have found when they go back from this amazing recreational people love me situation back into their yeah. Their shacks or their little homes in yeah. drug gangster-ridden yeah, communities. So um, we 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 know that the children we work with. So we specifically target children who face chronic adversity and trauma. So that we know the children we work with. Um, a couple of years ago, we looked at how much trauma um, our target population face, and it's about eight events in one year, traumatic events that they face, as opposed to children in their age from developed countries face about five in their lifetime. So we uh, do so know let, that let, they let, face... Let's hear that stat again. So they face about eight traumatic or adverse events per year, whereas children their age from developed countries face about five in their whole lifetime. Now, what are traumatic events? So some of the things are, for example, seeing someone shot, um, neglect or abuse at home, substance abuse at home. Um, losing a loved one. Losing a loved ma- love one, so bereavement, single, well, child-headed households or single um, parent households, so where there's no, no um, safe adult they can trust, where there's not a safe space emotionally or physically where they can learn and make mistakes, but with a safety net catching them. Mm. I remember just up the road was um, at Wawam, their chef fell off the top of the building and yeah. died in the driveway next door. Yeah. And... Uh, it was mainly middle-class uh, white kids yeah. from overseas, and they were terribly traumatized. They yeah. took them inside for counseling, and myself and uh, this Zulu lady from Natal, we, we had been friends in Wawam. I wasn't in Wawam. We stood there and waited by the body, and everyone had just gone off, and they were all traumatized. And we stood there, and one of the things I remember her saying was the first time she saw a dead body, she was nine years old. Sure, and we had a good chat about the different communities. I, I came up. I mean, it wasn't I wasn't uh, wealthy. My my background yeah. was quite poor at times, but just the different uh, lifestyle of privilege, and then in the in, in the in the areas you lived, I'm talking about, and a lifestyle of not having privilege, yeah. and just the two of us, we compared notes, yeah. and it stuck in my mind that, I mean, my first time I saw anyone. Uh, who was dead was my grandmother when I was 13 yeah. in a coffin, nicely presented. We loved her. Uh, you know, yeah. it wasn't, it was a long illness. It wasn't anything yeah. bad. But then after that, my next one was when I was a police officer, when I saw mm. dead bodies and things like that. So in my whole childhood, I was exposed once to that. To that. And I can't remember of any other traumatic ex- event except my sister getting knocked over a bicycle in little side street because she ran in front of yeah. nothing major. <laughs> but that whole traumatization of communities is huge compared yeah. to normal society, if you could use that Absolutely. term. Absolutely. And we, um, we've we worked over the past couple of years with, we've been fortunate to really have good relationships with um, academic institutions that help us look at how those kinds of traumatic events changes a child's um, brain. So it's like 
physically their brain, especially the parts um, that's responsible for decision making, for cognitive functioning, so for learning, um, for processing emotions. And there's actually, um, there are images on the internet that shows you the brain of a child that's been exposed to a lot of tra trauma as opposed to one that hasn't. And there's parts of the brain that shrink. And it's, so it's pathways and the like, those developing pathways that are... Neurological that are, pathways, uh, um, uh, yeah. An average child, I won't say a normal child, the yeah, average uh, child's exactly. uh, pathway de de development. We have yeah. a, 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 an educational psychologist, a PhD lady who studied neural neurodevelopment yeah. in children. And I think it came up there as well, how important these pathways yeah. are. So trauma and the, what they face negatively imp impacts these pathways. Absolutely. And, is that, and sorry, is that permanent? So it's so it's not permanent, and especially that's also why we target this age group. We work with children about ages ten to sixteen, and there's a thing called not my area of expertise, but it's called neuroplasticity. Yes, and they're at an age where some of those um, pathways can be strengthened or rebuilt. So it's it's really a critical time for children to. Um, help them with a the brain development that maybe the trauma has caused um, really damage. So there, there, there are ways where the brain can reshape those connections and there are ways where the brain can, um, kind of if you want to use the word, fix itself. Mm. So those um, interventions early on that you guys assist with are vital to many of these children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, obviously, we know with lots of things in life, the older you get, the harder you it, it, it gets to change. <laughs> Talk about it when you're my age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, it's really a critical age. So, marriage counselling at 60 and marriage counselling <laughs> at 30 are two different things. Or two very different things. Um, so, that's that's absolutely why why it's a, a, an age group that we target because we do we know if... if um, if it's left un, unaddressed, it's 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 really a. a you d I don't want to say that there's there's no hope because it's, it's there's never probably no hope for anyone, but it's a critical time for children when they um, are uh, their brains and the age where they can still be shaped and where they mm. can still make um, the changes to make healthy decisions and positive changes in their in their lives. So what you guys are doing is you're giving them a toolbox of tools which they can use that exp explain explain this to me um uh, a kid has been out for a day or afternoon with you guys he goes home and he walks in the door and gets a slap from his mother why are you late yeah explain to me how do you give them tools to to deal with a yeah. situation like that so um maybe to, to to briefly mention the maybe it will explain the um answer your question is maybe to, to um, briefly mention our five pillars that gives kind of a nice overview of what the mm. program consists of. So those five pillars um, we've designed and refined and over the, over the past couple of years, but it is the first one is um, obviously an emotional and physical safe space. So it's a mm. space where children can come and say, this is what's wrong or this is not, that's what, what's not working in my so life. So that's Help the surf, surfing school environment you've created. Correct. Yeah. Um, then 
access to a caring mentor slash adult. So we know a lot of the children that come to our program maybe don't have a space where they can speak to an adult about challenges or a mentor that they look look up to. So I'll serve coaches who are young people aged about 18 to 25 from the same communities where our children come from um, deliver the service. So they've they build stories. a relationship. Are they the Huge success, success stories, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the third one is, for us, it's surfing. Lots of organizations maybe use skateboarding or some kind of physical group-based activity. For us, it's surfing. So that's this access to a fun and challenging new task, um, which one is for children, like you mentioned earlier, just a space to have fun. But it's also an activity where they build confidence and sense of mastery. Um, and then how, how important is that sense of mastery to them huge absolutely um, they feel they're good at something they're good at something a lot of children come to the beach a lot of them actually can't even swim and we're fortunate that our, our coaches are um, lifesavers and they're all surf coaches and they, they can swim well and quite often children only go about half if they're not confident in the water we take a couple of months for them to help them in the water and oh, we do water oh. safety and water skills I watched an, <laughs> uh, a nipper Yes. At uh, Fishhook Beach, we were yeah. sitting there with our camper van and just chilling. And <laughs> all of them dived under the waves and the one just waded halfway until he got to a point, then he started swimming. Then he could. So, and, and that's part of the mastery. It's not necessarily even surfing on the back line. It's really going from, I might be scared of the ocean. I've never been in the ocean. It's a space that was never introduced to me and just to be con- confident in the water. So that sense of mastery is... This so is confidence key. in the water is a mastery. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then I'll... Psychosocial curriculum. So that's really a, a coping skills curriculum. Um, and, and those are the kinds of skills that's critical when they go back home. So it's very, it's uh, mind-body therapy. I almost want to say where children learn how to um, think before they act, where children learn when there's lots of um, heavy emotions. That and impulsiveness that to do impulsiveness something. That impulsiveness. <coughs> Try and turn the volume control down a little bit. Mm. So instead of lashing back out at mom or slapping her or slapping my brother or running off into the street and doing something, it's really giving them the the skills to stop and think, what's the behavior I want to choose? Um, We do lots of fun activities with them like... um, meditation, the power hand, where they really have to stop and think about how it is that I'm feeling and how I want to respond to mm. it. And because then in, in, in law enforcement, we find one of the key skills we have to utilize, not all everyone uses them, yeah. we are talking about amongst officers the other day, is de-escalating a situation. Absolutely. We call all taxi drivers, sir, and you speak to them nicely. Immediately, Absolutely. they're expecting something different yes. and they get the opposite you de-escalate a situation. Exactly. So exactly. that must be a key it's a principle. Key. You know, it's absolutely. I feel hurt. Yeah. I can accelerate or I can de-escalate. Or you can de Exactly. And that's that's really, we... Um, Amazing skill to have at such really, a young age. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we, obviously children learn through play and through activity. So our coaches, the, 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 the training they get to kind of transfer these skills um, to children is really through play and activities. It's so all your coaches go through this training? They go through the training. So it's not yeah. someone who surfs well and say, well, I want to become a surf instructor no. now. It's a commitment yeah. to want to impact your, com- your community. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'll speak about the coaches just now. I just wanted to mention the fifth, the last pillar is just a um, 
connecting children to other opportunities as well as to other, other services. So we obviously know our services have got boundaries. It mm. starts somewhere and it stops somewhere. And sometimes there are children who we've got serious concerns about or that maybe needs a psychologist or maybe needs a social worker or whatever. And we've got lots of partnerships with mm. other community-based organizations. Which and is vital. Government yeah, officials and we connect children to them. Or children who's gone through our program who want to become nippers, who want to become lifesavers, who want to do something. We try and build those connections so that there's some kind of an aftercare pathway for them as well. Mm. We, we have a, uh, with CCFM a prayer line. Yeah. Sometimes always all the person needs someone to talk to or an Absolutely. encouraging little prayer. But others need social services, other needs, Alco- Alcoholics Anonymous or Absolutely. marriage counseling. Yeah. The people aren't... Uh, on those telephone lines aren't the ones who have the expertise. Yeah. They refer out. I mean, now your expertise exactly is yes. having fun while surfing yeah. and a couple of other things. But when it when you need some, if there's some serious child abuse going exactly. on, you need to be yeah. able to, ref- when you pick it up, and that's what your, your coaches are trained in, to Absolutely. pick up these it's indicators. Up, correct. Because they are, so they're usually ab- on a two-year journey with us. It's it's unemployed um, young people who, um, so it's it's they, they're almost actually also secondary beneficiaries. Mm. So um, we give them a two-year opportunity at Ways for Change where they are um, trained as surf coaches, life-saving, but also this coping skills curriculum that we, that they um, then deliver to, to the children. Um, but it also gives them some work experience Experience and employment readiness and, and those kinds of things, but they. So there's a definite, a proper focus on the the counselor or the the the, the coach. Yes. And yeah. building them yeah. into someone who can now go on to further opportunities. Correct. Yeah. So so there's there's a big focus on we because we understand their mental health directly will impact the way they deliver the service. So we have to make sure that they are confident in what they're delivering, but also that they've got some kind of support, some kind of pathway, something to look forward to, some purpose in life so that they really are um, their overall well-being is as strong as what it can be so that they can really help children who, who need it the most. Um, they are being debriefed by counsellors on a weekly basis so they, they get mental health support themselves um, and they do weekly training. So it's an ongoing experiential training. So you guys as organisers understand what your your coaches are going through and the challenges that they have. I mean, they might Absolutely. be mentors, but they yeah. constantly ha- in having this a similar thing. They've just Correct. learned how to do it, no success stories, but Absolutely. it's easy to regress through a big Very. situation. So you know what's going on in their lives and, and yeah. give uh, input. Yeah, input and support where we can. I think it's, a, um, it's both a... Um, a good thing and a challenging thing, if that's the right word, is the good thing that double-edged sword. It, it's a double-edged sword because our coaches um, come from the same communities. They face exactly the same challenges. They've got the same triggers. Um, they've got the same barriers. Um, they are 100% relatable to the children and the which children trust them, which is absolutely vital. But the other side of the sword is they definitely need then also the same kind of support and if the same kind of um, uh, training and... Because um, they're literally one step away from going back to what they were. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. they are in the fire. Yeah, as They are in the fire. And so, you know, yeah. if they don't watch where they step, yes. that they can be in the same position as yeah. the... The, 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 the kids they, they yeah they, they're working with absolutely so it's the whole surf coaching thing tell us a bit more about I mean 
what are the fun activities? What do they do? I mean, how do they engage these kids? With the children. So what a session, maybe maybe to answer that in some ways, what a session would look like as we, children are um, collected, we've got transport services and children are collected from schools and they come to us every day of the week um, after school. So it's quite an they, intense program. And they, they, it's, quite, it's not like so come here once a week. They come once a week. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. the children come once okay. a week. But our service runs from Mondays Monday to, to Saturdays. Friday. So different children, different, different days. Different children, yeah. So they access the service once a week. Um, when they get to the beach, they change into wetsuits. And it is about half an hour first on the beach of um, energizers and dance and sing. We've got really like a culture of energy and movement. Mm. Um, so the coaches have lots of fun dancing activities they do with the children and then it's about half an hour um maybe the right word is almost like circle time we call it teachable moments so then mm. they'll sit in a circle they'll first debrief a bit any child that wants to share something that's happened the past week or share where they've maybe used a skill they've learned the previous week nothing breeds success like success exactly so they will they, it's a space where children can share some of where they've implied the skills that they've learned at Waves for Change and then they do that week's lesson and um, whether it is learning about our bananas culture that's protect communicate and respect we'll have activities where um children communicate better so um an, an example would be pair surfing so listening to your friend you're responsible for your friend in the ocean but it's an opportunity where your friend can say i'm nervous don't push me into the wave mm. or it's an opportunity where if you can see your friend is a little bit scared respect how they're feeling and mm. don't laugh at them so they learn the skill on the beach where, to, where coaches explain to them what is the skill we're learning today and then the activity in the ocean matches whatever it is they kind of practice in the ocean what, what they've learned because we, we sometimes we take basic skills like respect for granted I mean I remember yeah. from my grandfather my father getting a smack on the ear because I didn't show someone respect yeah. it happened from an early age but yeah. when you're not in a community or in family groupings that don't do that yeah. I mean, those things need to be learned somewhere and Absolutely. I think respect is the bottom line for anything if you yeah. respect another person you're not going to do anything to them exactly if you respect respect them and respect their feelings and emotions and mm. You know, whether you agree with them or not, but you're not laughing at them and you're saying, I oh, yeah, how you feel and I'm going to respect that. Um so that's a that's a that's a big one that, that children learn. Um and you you're right, then then it's kind of like a for that reason I won't hurt you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um before we you, you tell us one or two stories, um how do people get involved? How do you get them involved? Do you go out and seek the people? Do people come or kids come to you? Yeah. So we, about 80% of our children come from Quintal 1 and 2 schools um, in, in the communities where we work. Um, and then we've got relationships with Department of Social Development, Department of Health, other CBOs that also refer children to us. Mm. So we've got kind of a referral list of indicators um, for all our partners in the schools we work with, um, where we say these are kinds of these are the children we are looking for. If you see these kinds of behaviours in a child, or if you know this is the kind of circumstances at home, those are the children that we're targeting specifically. So you provide a vehicle to uh, uh, interventions in in those kids' lives. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Is your success rate high? I think so, <laughs> but um, um, I should also maybe say that, but I definitely do. We, we um, collect data 
from children three times a year where we look at um, some of these things around their overall well-being, um, their confidence levels, um, uh, the kinds of outcomes we want to see. And we've over the past... Well, it's our 10, last year we were 10 years old, so over the past 11 years, consistently I've seen the children that come through the program experience some sense of um, improved confidence. And, and Do um, they stay long periods with you? I mean, through so they 9 stay to 16 or wherever it is, or do they, they, you have kids, big turnover of children? So, so we children stay with us a year. So it's a year program from Mondays to Fridays. They come once a week. And then once they've graduated out of the program, they can join our Saturday surf club. So the surf clubs are like a aftercare pathway that children can access whenever they want to. So that first year is quite intense. They have to attend every week. And then once they've gone through that program, Saturdays is for children who's more confident in the water, that wants to come and surf, that wants to just come and re-engage mm. again with their positive peers and the adults they've met. And it met, creates a touch point for you guys so you mm. yeah um so yeah so we definitely have success stories in terms of looking at children and and the outcomes the program has but we've got lots of um like more the qualitative meaty anecdotal stories where um parents have told us they see even changes in children's behavior at school and it's kind of like an indirect outcome it's not really where we work but we've um Teachers have said to us they've actually seen some of our children sitting with their friends on the grass and doing a take five and doing a meditation and practicing some of these um, coping skills. And then we've got lots of parents who have said to us um, the, the child's relationship with their siblings are better, the child's relationship with the parents better, um, there's more communication, there's more respect. So, Do you have any you know, specific stories about individuals? Uh, one nice one that I can maybe tell, and it's... Um, uh, it's one also we've made a small documentary about is specifically two children in our program that's on the autism spectrum. So we do also have morning programs for neurodiverse children. So our afternoon programs after school is neurotypical children. And then in the mornings we run programs for children who's not in mainstream schools um, or children that learn differently and communicate differently. And we've had two children in the program. Um, the one in particular uh, was scared of things like um, dogs and she didn't walk on sand. She never wear, um, um, went anywhere without shoes. Um, and the, the boy, so that's the girl in the program, and the boy um, never made friends. He used to sit, his mom used to tell us, he used to sit inside in the house and looking at the friends playing outside in the street and never wanted to engage with him. And the two of them, after being about a year with us, um, their parents came back to us and said that the, the girl actually got her own dog, which was like such a... <laughs> He said he could never have believed, but she was just because she was introduced on the beach here by other dogs, but in a space where she felt safe and she could start engage with other people and trust people. She started realizing everything is not so scary around her in the world. And the boy, um, the mom told us that one of the boys in the street kicked a soccer ball over into the yard and he picked the ball up, went outside in the street and started playing with the children. So those were two. And it's really just because they were in a space where they could engage with people and get a bit of more confidence without feeling this is all too too scary and could, could build relationships. Because in middle class, more affluent areas, it's completely different to being a, a child with challenges. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. On the autism spectrum or whatever it might be. Yeah. 
uh, when you're in a in a poor community yeah. with the same big challenges that the, the the average kid has. Yeah, absolutely. I think the. Um, the lack of, of resources, but also appropriate and child-friendly resources. I think that's that's probably like like one of the last things I'll say is that what the, what our service really tries to do is to give children access to a mental health service that's child-friendly, but that's also culturally appropriate. You mm. know, for a lot of these children to go somewhere to Rhonda Bosch to sit with a psychiatrist in a white room. It's just, it's so overwhelming. It's not relatable. Mm. You know, it's sometimes not language appropriate. So it's really to try and f help communities where those kinds of services are not accessible to really give them a platform where it's like, oh, this is actually fun. But while I'm having fun, I'm starting to feel better about myself. It takes us back to our first point of yeah. forcing solutions Absolutely. from middle class uh, affluent areas yeah. well this is how we do it. we send our kids to a child psychologist and exactly. and, and helps <laughs> and you come in there and the child's got to just get over the fact that I'm in a brick building you yes, know absolutely you know it's it's some of those challenges absolutely so uh, what have you we've got a minute left <coughs> what have you learned personally on your journey oh gosh big question big question um Definitely one is that we, we, we don't have all the answers and that the communities where we work when we're involved in development work and in crime prevention work and in mental health work is that there's a lot for us to learn in terms of solutions mm. and just help and um, elevate what already exists. So you understand the principle of two ears, one mouth. Absolutely. <laughs> Completely. It might not always sound like it, but I try. <laughs> but absolutely. I think that was one of the, the biggest lessons is really is to um, to know that we, we can always learn um, and we should always learn and we don't always bring the answers. Yeah. Because, because your natural, if you have a, a caring uh, heart, your natural de or your default is to give people information, Absolutely. say, this is how it works. This, this is, is how it works. works. And sometimes you just take that step back, which makes it Completely. really, really difficult. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, if someone wants to contact your organization, how do they do that? So um, our website is www.waves-com for-change.org and then we are very active on social media um, Facebook and Instagram and our handles are at Waves for Change so people will uh, find it easily they just they'll find us very easily and all our contact information is on there and um, yeah all the work that we do is on there and there's a contact email also as well as a telephone number yes it's always best to uh, go to the website I'm, yeah. I'm on your website at the moment and it, it gives all the information yeah. uh, that you would need for full contact. To get a hold of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so often you give a, a contact number and people phone into the switchboard and say, what is that number again? <laughs> so That's true. www.waves-4, F-O-R, hyphen change.org and not .org.za. No, just, just .org. .org. Yeah. Wow, that went quickly, eh? <laughs> that did go quick. <laughs> uh, I love I love new and interesting uh, organizations finding out about them. And we, we've been neighbors for years. For years. And I found out that you, <laughs> with Waves of Change, and I thought, what an amazing time to find out more about it. But thank you so much for taking the time to uh, sit with us in studio and give us some information about one of the uh, best-kept secrets in Musenberg. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. 
Well, that was Nikki from Ways for Change, and she just gave us so much amazing information on the interventions and the assistance. Kids that have come from really tragic situations are able to uh, join as in normal activities like surfing and playing on the beach. So till next week when we'll be with our educationist from me, Wayne Turner, it's goodbye and God bless. See you then.